Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Bruce, it looks like we're wearing matching shirts today. Mine, mine says the Beatles on. What does yours mine say? Says nothing. Oh, okay. Nike shirt. So might have a Nike logo somewhere. The Beatles. Cool. Oh. Very cool. How many Beatles are still alive, eh? Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, yeah. What about that other, the fifth Beatle? Is he Pete Best? Is he still alive? Billy Preston? No, Pete Best. Wasn't he the drummer? Oh, yeah, there's been three different fifth Beatles. Fifth Beatles. I don't think Billy Preston's alive either, though. George Martin. George Martin. He was a big, he was big. He was huge. Mm -hmm. All right, Bruce. Um... It's uh, summertime, so, but the news is cooking along, including uh, a big interview between Darnell Nurse and Luke Gazdick, which we will talk about. Uh, there's been a viral video uh, from Evander Kane that we will discuss. We will discuss um, a couple posts that we've written and, and are going to write. One about the uh, worst first overall draft picks in NHL history, where Nail Yakupov is now in the running. Um, we will have, we'll discuss, uh, your post on, uh, whatever became of all the, um, some of the much loved Oilers defensemen, bottom pairing defensemen who were traded away and what's become of their careers. Not all bottom pairing defensemen. Some of them are actually, uh, top pairing. Um, oh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about a comment Terry Jones made about the Oilers. And was there anything else on our list? I think that's it, right? The big Five Mand- mandatory able- mention of how the, the, no news is not necessarily good news with the uh, uh, inaction in the uh, Bouchard and McLeod um, camps, but I think we've almost talked that to death, David, and I'm pretty sure we'll we'll have a, our next podcast. We'll be discussing Ryan McLeod signing. Yeah, and then probably quickly after that, a Bouchard. Yeah, so we'll get it. We'll talk about that next week when they sign contracts, which is going to happen probably next week for both of them, um, I'm, I'm going to guess. Um, all right, Bruce. Let's start with, uh, well, let's start with the Evander Kane um, uh, uh, video. You know, it's interesting. When he signed, of course, there was lots of controversy and a lot of it merited, right? He had had, you know, there's just endless list of con- conflicts that he was involved with, you know, from teammates, creditors, uh, acquaintances, girlfriends, and an ex-wife. And uh, lots of controversy around the player. Lots of people um, <clears throat> bitterly disappointed the Oilers signed him. I think, though, whatever you thought, whatever people thought of him, rightly or wrongly, at that time, and... Um, that since he's come to Edmonton, he's become something of a, a local legend, fan favorite kind of player. Um, he he has made, I, I, and I think it is fair to say he's made pretty much all the right moves since coming to Edmonton, at least. Whatever happened before, he seems to have um, figured out public life. And um, he certainly, um, he got off to an exceptionally strong start with the team both in terms of uh, scoring goals and also just bringing swagger to the team, standing up for his teammates, which everyone really appreciated. I I think this was the thing that people didn't, I didn't grasp with Evander Kane is what a physical force, what an intimidating force he was on the ice in terms of 
intimidating other players on other teams. And we saw it last year, in the, not last year in the playoffs, but the year before in the playoffs with uh, Matthew Kachuk um, of the Calgary Flames was seemingly taken right out of the series in terms of being a passed by Kane's intimidation. So um, it seemed that it, way, didn't it? It did seem that way. Now I've heard since then he might have been injured. Kachuk might have been injured Maybe. in that series, and it's a nice, good excuse. Anyway, there's the, the the more recent stories. First of all, what do you think of that assessment? Do you think that's fair? Do you take exception well, with any of that, or what would you add to it? Since he got here, he, he's yeah. been good. I I understand. I wrote about right at the time when he got here some of the issues that were outstanding, and how uh, some segments of the fan base. We're not going to be impressed, uh, specifically uh, the women in the fan base, that, uh, and many of them that I know uh, expressed unhappiness with that move. Uh, and I wrote that, and then I said, I'm just going to judge this guy by what I see on the ice. And all that said, uh, which is some good, some bad, uh, but all that said, what I have seen off the ice, I've actually been pretty impressed. I like, he, like he seems to just get along famously with kids, and I got all day for that. Yeah, there, and there's a famous incident, of course, this year when he, he he's uh, befriended and he's mentoring kind of this young girl who got cancer a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he invited her. Uh, she went to a, an L.A. Kings playoff game and she was harassed, mm-hmm. accosted because she was wearing an Oilers sweater. Someone apparently spit on her. She was and, wearing an Evander Kane Oilers sweater. Oh, is that? Okay. This is Evander Kane who did this to Kings fans in the playoffs last year. I'm holding seven fingers up for those listening to the podcast. So, you know, some of this was, if if you will. What was the seven about? What, why seven uh, fingers? We're going back to Edmonton for game seven after oh, okay. he scored the empty netter that clinched game six. And he went over and he showed the seven fingers. And some fans thought he was signaling that it was his seventh goal of the series, which it was was in the sixth game uh but he said no no not about that at all it's all about game seven read my lips and of course if you read your lips what he says we're going the same game seven baby or <laughs> and he does have he does have swagger and sometimes it gets him into trouble and i don't want to jump to the conclusion that it got this little girl into, into trouble but the fact is kane wasn't popular there and she bore the brunt of it but uh he famously went to bat for her afterwards yeah uh on instagram and um, I mean, then in the you 2000, can't put that on him. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's and just it is the sequence of events. The uh, against Vegas, then he got in a fight with Keegan Colasar, who was a pretty rough customer, and they were down on the ice together. And Kane just was giving him body shots. And in the um, post game interview, <laughs> um, Ryan Rashog of TSN asked him about the body shots, and uh, you know said that's not very common. And Kane's uh, now famous answer is uh, when you, and I'll, I'll use the Battlestar Galactica word, when you frack around, sometimes, sometimes you got to find out. And that's what happened. And then he went on, yeah. And then it's just a matter of fact, and that's what happened. <laughs> As if there was no question that if he decided to settle the score, that that score was going to get settled. And uh, he did get some extra shots in the Colasar and, uh, Many Oilers fans didn't mind those extra shots, I don't think. So then he plays Bear League Hockey in Edmonton this summer, and he goes by the uh, the official score sheet name of F-A-F-O. F-A, and then his last name is F-O-F-A-O, which stands for Frack Around and Find Out. 
So finally, then this week, which which I thought was the that was the best, that was the best of entertainment moment that we've had, other than scoring all those goals and like anything the offside stuff like that was so fun. Like that's really funny. Could you imagine lining up his brother Fa? Could you believe uh, if you're lining up in there across from you on a beer league hockey is Evander Kane? I guess it's just like I'm. I, Holy I'm, crap! It's just can, can we not imagine? play this? Yeah, it would be like, I don't want to play. All right. Uh, well, I'd want to play, but I'd want to make sure I was smiling at him and that he was smiling back. I wouldn't even want to play. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so then then his the latest thing is um, he's now playing beer, I guess, in L.A. And um, there's a video of him going down the ice. With, <laughs> it's a two two on nothing essentially, and he's got the puck and he puts the puck over to a guy, and it, the other guy's wide open for a shot, and he misses the net. So, um, Spitting Chicklets, the mm. podcast, which is um, which stars uh, former Oiler Ryan Whitney and former NHL fourth liner Paul Bissonnette, puts out a kind of a funny little tagline under the video that says, "It says tag a buddy who's missing this open net feed from Evander Kane." So you're supposed to identify one of your buddies who can never score a goal. So <laughs> what Kane does is he he does just that, and the name that he tags is Paul Bissonnette, and which is Perfect. kind of funny because Paul Bissonnette was would have missed from there. <laughs> he would have missed. A lot of unkind Oilers fans put the name down. Yes, a Puliyarvi. I noticed because uh, anyway. Mm. Uh, but Bis- yeah, yeah, yeah. This Him year, and Yamamoto both. And Yamamoto both. Bisonet was a seven percent score shooting percentage in the NHL for six seasons. He scored seven goals in two hundred and two NHL games. So I thought the Bisonet reference was like that was brilliant. Evander Kane strikes me like I got I, seven goals in one series. Evander. Yeah. Kane. <laughs> Vander Kane strikes is very bright. Mm-hmm. He is a smart guy. Uh, he's very well spoken, and um, I th- and I, and it looks like I mean he just had another child with his with his new wife. Looks like he it looks like things are going well for him. He's got this new contract with the Oilers. He got a contract settlement in um, San Jose where they're topping up his salary. Mm-hmm. I think in Edmonton. So. I, you know, he had some rough times and, you know, probably was the author of, of some of those rough times himself, but it looks like he's uh, doing well here in Edmonton. So he's extremely charismatic Yeah, and he, you know, he really has like a big presence and even on, even on a screen, but in a, in a room, apparently even, even more so. And, uh, that doesn't necessarily always work to his advantage. Let's put it that way. But, uh, uh, he's, um, uh, you know he's the Vladdy Guerrero of the of the Oilers, kind of. You know, in terms of his his presence, and I don't, I don't like that's lost on me because I'm not a baseball. Oh, fan. okay. I know who he is, Vladimir Guerrero, but I don't mm-hmm. know. He's kind like of the was he the Reggie Jackson? Like I know yeah, 1970s. Kind of, yeah, yeah. He's the straw that stirs the drink, and I'm not. I'm okay. not saying Kane, I'm just saying Kane's just naturally like that, and I've always seen him that way, whether he's with Atlanta or Winnipeg or. All the points in between. He is a self-confident individual, Bruce, and he's come into his own perhaps as a man in Edmonton. So that's what I see with him. All right. Um, hope it continues. High Darnell, eye clean break there. Darnell Nurse <laughs> is up next. Now, he gave an interview to Luke Gazdick, uh, uh, who's got his own podcast now. 
And um, the interviews have been pretty good, I've noticed, which is, um, you know, I find a lot of podcasters, if they're not journalists, and I know it's popular to shit all over journalists now and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of podcasters that I listen to um, who are authors or aren't very good interviewers because they like to talk too much. They don't interview people. They're always giving their opinion and debating and discussing. And really what I want to hear from an interview is an interview. I want to hear them mm-hmm. ask direct questions mm-hmm. and ha- get the time to have them answered and then get follow-ups. And Luke Gazdick did a, does a good job of that. I was um, very impressed with Gazdick. Yeah, I thought he, you know, he, in, he, if I was a little bit critical, he interrupts a little bit. Um, as they're answering the question, he interjects quite a bit. He might want to just pull back a bit from that. But he, wh- what he's really good at, and this was a really good interview, was just asking the question, getting the answer, mm-hmm. asking the question, getting the answer. And and that's a real skill um, that uh, that um, the best ask interviewers good, have. Ask some good questions. Anyway, he also uh, interjected a little bit with some of his own experience being an ex-NHL player himself that, you know, they played on the same team for uh, for a time there at the end of Gazdick's time here in Edmonton when Nurse was a rookie. Uh, but uh, I would say out of the 42 minutes, it was probably, you know, 10 minutes for Gazdick and 30 for Nurse. Like, he really gave him room to room to uh, uh, tell a story, and, and quite a story it is. Indeed. Uh, indeed. And uh, Nurse comes across as a very driven, very driven oh, individual, I'll very see. responsible individual um, and focused. And he talked about... Um, you know, all the courses that he's taking. He's taking some university-level courses, including one in basic, in foundational math. Um, he's, he's uh, um, and he spoke, you know, you got a real sense of his the strong family that he comes from. Oh, so, a strong athletic family. I mean, that, that yeah. part was amazing. He talked about all the basketball players, especially on the, on the, on the uh, on women's side of his family, uh, including one, he said his aunt, Gracie, was it something? I think she had a name like that. He said she still has all the records in Syracuse University. Nobody ever talks about her. And I'm going, Jesus, I don't remember hearing about <laughs> Aunt Gracie. I'm too busy hearing about the sister, the cousin. Tamika, you know. And, um, <laughs> I was looking up his sister, Kia, Sarah, who played. Yeah, uh, Sarah, Kia, Kia, yeah. Kia, now, her career's, her career's taken a little. Like, she was such a great player, but her career, I noticed, has taken. I don't know if it was an injury, but it's in the last couple of years, it's kind of taken a. You know, she's only 26, but it's taken. Mm-hmm. She's gone downhill a bit. So I wonder what's mm-hmm. happened there. She's not putting up the points like she used to earlier in her career in the WNBA. I mean, for for the Canadian national team, she was the best player for a few oh, yeah. years, and I'm not sure if that's still the case. Anyway, the, the there was one quote though that got everybody's attention, and um, so I'll I'll try to give the full quote in context here. So Gazdick, so as we all know, Nurse signed a contract which pays him 9.125 million for the next this last year and for the next seven. So um, he was, um, Gazdick asked him about the pressure he felt from within and, and from without due to that new contract. Here's what Nurse said, quote, I mean, there's an expectation before I sign the contract of what I think I'm capable of performing and of being at each and every night. I've played in a high pressure market since I first came to the league. It's great. Me personally, I love it because that's, there's that juice, that fire in the summer. But, uh, but I mean, you also have to take a lot of stuff with a grain of salt. Sometimes I feel like I've been blamed from everything from a goal against to the traffic on Stony Plain Road. Uh, 
you have to be really cognizant of the pressure upon yourself. But I mean, look, there's no one that's going to expect more out of me than me. That's been something that's been instilled in me since I've been very young. So yeah, there's pressure that comes along with that contract. End of quote. So um, the, the part that got everyone's attention was, I, I think, a completely honest, mm -hmm. not just honest, but fair and accurate comment mm -hmm. from Darnell Nurse, that he gets blamed for a whole heck of a lot. And uh, this idea that he's blamed for everything from a goal against to the traffic on Stony Plain Road. Now, I, I think he nailed it. That's how it is in Edmonton with mm -hmm. this player right now. And especially mm -hmm. since he signed the contract, but not just due to that contract. This There's been a faction of Oilers fans who have been on Nurse's case almost from the start and have mm -hmm. not let up. And they just see him as a as a mediocre hockey player in terms of reading the game and um, his decision-making on the ice, they see him as exceptionally mistake-prone and not up to much as an NHL hockey player. I think that's... Have I uh, said too much? Have I overstated the well, criticism, Bruce? How would you phrase Not that he's not an NHL player. I mean, most people would put him in the top four uh of the uh you know even that like the it's critics would say second pairing defenseman paid way too much which is that leading okay. or Fair second enough. in just about every conversation is the contract and there's no avoiding it in that cap space in nhl the contract is uh you know it's it's capital uh for building your team and so they invest an awful lot of it in this player um and uh, uh i the thing that struck me as, as funny was it seemed like the reaction to that comment, which was in a few headlines as being sort of a takeaway, obvious sort of flashpoint out of a 42-minute interview, of which this happened in the 40th minute, right? And, and well, sometimes just, the best just, quotes come at the end of the interview. Yeah, well, yeah, the best goal comes late in the third period. Anyway, yeah. this was... Uh, uh, this was uh, I mean, the obvious sort of, oh, he said that, that's, uh, that's that'll get a reaction. Of course it did. And it's funny to me because some of the reaction I'm hearing are coming from the, the people who, dare I say, blame Nurse for everything from a goal against to the traffic on Stony Plain Road because there are folks out there. I mean, obviously not literally, but he sure does get blamed for a lot and he doesn't get credit for a lot of what he does. This is what, what, pisses me off. As an Oilers fan, I like my Oilers, and I, I don't like it when some of my favorites get criticized, and he's on the long list of Oilers' favorites. So, uh, you're going to argue your case? Let me argue his. He's, uh, 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 you know, he's, he's at the, very much at the center of that room. He's part of the group. He's part of the, the core. That You could see him coming on together at the 2015 training camp with uh, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nurse. And you could see it was the three of them. They were friends. You could see it out there on the ice from the stands. And they, you know, they've been the, the core around this, which this team has been built. And to this point, you know, they're, they're obviously until they win something, it's, 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 uh, it's a lot of drama and it's a lot of, uh, of uh, anticipation and a lot of, disappointment each year when when the end comes 
But to me, they so much remind me of the core three from 1979 of, of Gretzky, Messier, and Lowe with Nurse playing the part of Kevin Lowe. And if you didn't like Kevin Lowe as a hockey player, well, probably you're not going to like Darnell Nurse either. And I'm not saying they're the same, but I'm saying many of their qualities are the same. And I view them both as players of high character. And they're the guys that their team wants to go to battle with. That is an excellent comparison, Bruce. That, that really is apt. I think that's really apt because Lowe was Lowe was always in the top four, but was he the best defenseman? And you know the the, the issue with the these Oilers matchups. Yeah, he got the toughest matchups. The issue with <laughs> these Oilers is there hasn't been a Paul Coffey. Now Evan Bouchard may slip into that role. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan Bouchard may get a point a game next year, so we might have a, a defenseman with that kind of offensive um, power uh, on the Oilers. He's not. He's not, I mean, Evan Bouchard stylistically isn't close to Paul Coffey. He's, he's, he's an Al McInnes style. He's Larry Murphy. That's that's always been a more, much more apt uh, comparison. So anyway, I thought that the, um, so you're saying some people are, his biggest, biggest critics were offended that Nurse pointed out the criticism. Maybe, maybe I read more into it than was there, but there, there seemed to be some butthurt people out there that he said that. And I mean, anybody who's, got a pulse that surely knows that the guy's getting ripped whether they whether they're doing the ripping or agreeing with the ripping or agreeing with some of the ripping uh or disagreeing with all of it you got to be knowing that there's a lot of this guy gets ripped a lot and he really took it in the middle of the season when he made a couple of, he, he did go into a defensive slump and he made a couple yeah. of bad mistakes that cost games and and uh you know nine and nine nine Point two five, not nine point five. Nine point two five million dollar defenseman shouldn't be making that mistake, and it just sort of got out of control there for a little while, and then he got his game back. And I'd was, say he got more criticism this year. Um, I'd say he got more fair criticism this year than he's ever had before, and I think we, you and I, criticized him more this year than we have ever criticized him in the past, and I think. What we and, and it's interesting because um, I think what what we we may have been somewhat incorrect in our criticism. Um, what we saw and what we were raising constantly was a player that we thought was trying to do too much. And maybe this was more me than you. Like I'll I'll wear this because I I know I made it, but I I think you might have as well. But I I rip him from time to time for his play, right? That's the play. Yeah, that, that we're yeah. Always so always so we to were doing we were doing we were doing that, and, and I was doing that, and I was saying he's trying to do too much. He's got to keep it simple. He's all over the ice. He's he's here. He's there. He's every act and where, and he's not getting. He's not where he should be in front of his own net, protecting his goalie. And this criticism came to a head in the playoffs, especially on one play where Zach Whitecloud of the Vegas Golden Knights um, <laughs> got a pass at the blue line. A nurse was out there covering another player. And uh, as Zach Whitecloud steaming in on the Oilers net, nurse is, he's actually crossed the blue line into, Getting picked by Warren Fogel. Yeah. into the neutral zone. Um, when he should, I remember when it well. seems to every Oilers fan that he should be covering slot and this happened to a lot now so this was this was the criticism and we were hot at the time now what i've what i've since come to think believe theorize i don't have proof of this is this this was the order system to mm-hmm. follow your man wherever he went and that's all that's what nurse was doing and he followed his man out 
over the blue line on that play. I think it was Riley Smith, if I'm not mistaken. And Smith dumped the puck off to White Cloud, who was Fogel's man, and Fogel didn't wasn't Johnny on the spot covering him. Now maybe they should have switched. Maybe Nurse could have handled different. Well, or they they, they picked each other off. They just got in the wrong lane. Essentially, it was a comedy mm-hmm. of errors, and it was an ugly play. Mm-hmm. And what I've come to think is that the Oilers' defensive system is was exploited aggressively by Vegas, and it was a huge tactical advantage for the Vegas Golden Knights. And it's the reason, Mm -hmm. the main reason, I believe, that they Mm -hmm. they were able to get past, I think, what I think was a superior Oilers team. And what I've been calling for on this podcast repeatedly, ad nauseum, probably boringly by now, no doubt, is that the Oilers need to change to more of a zone system and just keep those defensemen in in front of the net more often. Simplify it, that'll help players like CC Nurse, Ekholm, every every one of them. So I think I was over the top in criticizing Nurse because I might not have understood this, that he was no. actually playing the system. He was doing his job. It was just that his job was really not the best tactical idea. Well, we... That's that's the toughest part of our scoring system is when we're trying to score defensive um, assignments. Yeah. Because we don't, I mean, we don't know for sure what we are. We can have a pretty fair guess after watching over time who's supposed to take what man and and, and so on. Uh, but if you know, and sometimes it's the other somebody else that blows the assignment that creates the chaos that happens, and sometimes it's you know several men at once that break down. In this case, I think. Uh, I agreed with giving Nurse a mistake because he got picked with, you know, they, they took the wrong lane. He and Fogel messed up. And yeah. Zach Whitecloud got a free lane down the right side. And that said, uh, if your goaltender comes out uh, and takes away the short side on a shot from the right face-off dot that he sees coming from sort of two seconds before, uh, all that goes away. And that save never happened either. So it was one of those things uh you know, a little, little, little glove, little leather can make uh, a lot of those defensive mistakes disappear, and that was one that didn't disappear. Bruce, there was way too many moments where Oilers defensemen looked really bad on the ice, this mm-hmm. playoff yeah. series. So I think between the players and the coaches, they mm-hmm. got to, and the centers as well, they just looked bad. Mm-hmm. Everyone, like there was too many wide open looks in front of the Oilers net these playoffs mm-hmm. and the Oilers whatever else comes this coming season they've got to figure this out they've got to figure out their slot defense I think personally simplify it go with the same kind of zone that Vegas did but whatever they do they got to figure this out because um the criticism of Nurse and CC and and other defensemen DeHarnay um really often comes from these moments on the ice and um, same with Bugstad, Drysaddle, mm-hmm. McLeod, where, where the players were just left wide open in the slot, and you can't have it. And the criticism won't stop until those plays stop. Mm-hmm. And they've got. And if those plays don't stop, the Oilers don't win the Stanley Cup. So this is job one to mm-hmm. me in my mind for the Edmonton Oilers this year is figuring this out. Either like what if this this is the system you're going to stick with? We'll get the players to perfect it so or do well enough for those mistakes don't happen or change your system and get the players to um, master that one because that it was just it's why they I believe it's why they lost to Vegas it's the main reason why they lost to Vegas and you're right Mm -hmm. Stu Skinner had two two seconds to size up Zach Whitecloud but Zach Whitecloud also had two seconds of open you know just Mm -hmm. oh sure went from the blue line to the dot 
wide open. And, and even, you know, NHL he players. He really stepped into it. He picked, he picked the corner. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. All right, Short moving side. on. <laughs> moving on. Oh, uh, yeah. What, Darnell Nurse, one, one last thing. About the Vegas series, he said the following. The better team won. They won the cup. Congrats to them. He did. And so that was just one one of quite a few things that I that I heard in that interview that impressed me. And I, I implore people, especially those who want to draw an opinion on those ten seconds, listen to the whole interview. It's well worth it. This guy has uh, uh, got a lot going on. He's doing lots of good charitable work in the community. Right? He's been named a, the uh, finalist two times in a row for was it Pearson uh, for community involvement and yeah. lots of reasons to like the guy but people see that one big reason not to that big old contract you know but i mean <sighs> i don't think the better team won that's why i'm still ticked i think the Oilers mm. were the better team but they obviously they weren't they lost anyway uh, okay uh bruce terry jones long time mm. edmonton journal and sun columnist member of the writer's wing of the hockey hall of fame Elmer Ferguson, one of the uh, great sports writers in Canadian history. And he was on Twitter and he said the following quote, my hockey history as a hockey writer going back to quote, weak need wimps, (laughs) which he, which he famously said after the, uh, in 1982. And it was the only time my mom who didn't follow hockey got emotional about hockey. She said, that's just too harsh. Okay. Uh, weak need wimps. Okay. I'll start again. My history as a hockey writer going back to weak-kneed wimps has not been to be a cheerleader or a fan, but I was pretty much all in for the Oilers' five Stanley Cup run and have stopped well short of predicting cups before or since then, since, or before or since, but I'm ready. This is the year. Bet on it. Bet on it. So Terry Jones, (laughs) Fred Flintstone, uh, so, um, that's pretty, you know, and I think Terry Jones' self-assessment there is correct. He's, um, he can be really critical and he's not a fan. He, he doesn't approach it as a fan. He approaches it as a, uh, I don't know, um, heart surgeon or something like that. Uh, he I called he, him an iconoclast in my post. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> he... So he's he's all in on these Oilers uh, this year. I mean, they I can see why. I mean, this team is a really really good hockey team. The other teams that they're competing with have not gotten better. Colorado is not much better, if they're better at all. And they've lost players for the last couple of years. Vegas is the same Vegas team. Um, they've lost one or two guys. They've lost Riley Smith. Um, placed him with Ivan Barbashev. Yep. Well, they had Barbashev already, but uh, well, they got him at the deadline with that uh, with that Mark Stone uh, convenient term injured reserve uh, uh, CTIR, where he was ready for the first game of the playoffs. But while he was out for basically just before the deadline until end of the regular season, they were able to go out and pick up on Barbashev, and he wound up on the first line. Of course, Stone played the whole playoffs, so. But then when the playoffs are over, they traded Riley Smith and they re-signed um, Barbashev to the identical money that they used to give to uh, to um, Riley Smith, 5.0 million. It's exactly what they gave Barbashev. And, you know, Kelly uh, 
Charlie McCrimmon, boy, he is a he's a he's well. A, if he was running the orders, Bruce, man, he, if he uh, was running very, the orders. He's got a very pulled, different style. Than well, when he had told Evander Kane and Kyler Yamamoto, "You're sitting out the rest of the year," you know, um, and at the trade deadline, pulled in more players that way, possible, and maybe that would have been the difference maker. Well, anyway. I'm, I'm not sure it didn't Holland hurt, but no, no, I got well. I forgot doing that, but I can Very different like, style. It is a different style, and uh, as Al Davis used to say, just win, just baby. Just win, baby. Yeah, yeah, he's a stone cold killer, McCrimmon, and he's uh, he's uh, he's done full, pulled some questionable stuff, and yet uh, he, you know, the proof's in the pudding at this point. You can say, well, what he did to Mark Andre Fleury or Max Pacioretty, giving them away for free. Well, they might not have liked it, but that was how he got calf space to get the guys that he needed to put them over the top. And he just was quite cold-blooded about it. And I guess more power to him. It worked. Yeah, I'd only say the same thing about Bill Belichick too, cold-blooded and calculating. And, <sighs> yep. And what has he got? Five Super Bowl rings, I think, or Total. six. So, I don't even follow so, that closely. Okay. All right, so Jonesy's picking the Oilers. Now, Bruce, it should be said that heading into the playoffs, a number of betting sites and Money Puck, which is an analytics site, both had the Oilers mm -hmm. as the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. Sure. So this isn't going, this is Terry Jones coming around, but, you know, some of the hardcore betting sites, um, I'm not exactly completely sure how they do it, whether they're setting the odds to get people to bet or whether they're setting the odds. They're obviously setting the odds to make as much money as they can. Right. That's that's the rule. And I don't mm -hmm. quite know, though, what that means. Like, how how if they're trying to be act, fair and accurate or what the dealio is. But anyway, the, the betting sites did have the Oilers as mm -hmm. the, the top, some of them as the top team heading into the playoffs, which I think is significant and in some way. And uh, so, I, I mean, I thought the Oilers were going to win the Cup. Um, against Colorado, they were clearly not, they were clearly second best to Colorado. I had grossly mm. underestimated the power of the Avs that year. I thought the Oilers were the best team heading into the playoffs last year, like a lot of experts did, and and I'm still bitter about that, but they weren't the best team Vegas was, as Darnell Nurse says. But this year, yeah. I mean, clearly they got to be one of the top one or two, three cup favorites. They just are. Mm -hmm. They're a fan, This is a fantastic hockey team. So... Yeah, well, I want to see them start proving it right out of the gate, as they have done a few years lately. But what I really want to see is them keep proving it in November and December. None of this crazy-ass swan dives down the standings for the last six weeks of the of the calendar year. So if they're entering the new year in 10th place in the West and, you know, swimming uphill, now you got to play Connor and Leon, you know, not only every night, but 23, 25 minutes, 28, and if it's a tight game, it goes to overtime, you know. And, and no, do away with that stuff. Just start winning and keep winning. By the time you get to the end of December, you want to be 10 points off at least on the bottom playoff team and just keep winning. None of this crap. You're a good team. Yeah. Prove it all year. What, what I don't a great mean go crazy is. like Boston. Just win. And yeah. get in first place and stay in first place. None of these late comebacks because you pissed away a whole bunch of points in, uh, in November and December. Well, you were making a good point there until you raised Boston. Because Boston, of course, got off to the great start. It was great all year and then mm -hmm. crashed out in the first round of the playoffs. Oh, no. 
but it was but it to be great great you just have to be real good but be good consistently you know what you don't want to be at game 25 or a game 30 and and every game from then on being must win which is what it felt like the last two seasons well, right it's just this crazy like they're just three out of four just, seasons it's just it's just painful like this really good team is just puts itself in the spot where they just got to go 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 hard like get off to a great start and keep the pedal to the metal and then you know kind of cruise a little bit maybe yeah. You can cruise then once you're in yeah, the playoffs. You're 15 points ahead at the deadline, you know, you can you can experiment a bit. You can buy a player or two and experiment a bit. If you lose a game. Yeah. I don't want to be losing that game on November 11th and then losing another one on November 12th, you know. Diving down anyway. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's quickly go over the worst. I'm doing a post on the worst first overall draft picks in NHL history. And I got, just for some reason, Neil Yakupov's name popped in my mind this week. And I just looked up his statistics. And, you know, I had never really thought of him in that category as the worst first overall pick in NHL history. But he is definitely in the running. Um, Like, there was always a, a hope that he would go to the KHL even and get his game together. And... But what's happened in the KHL is exactly what happened in the NHL. He's he's bombed out of the league, essentially. I mean, he was hurt, I think, this year. As far as I can tell, he only played a, a handful of games, so it's kind of hard to tell. But he just had a really mediocre season in the KHL, which is kind of the equivalent. It's a bit better. It's better than the AHL, but uh, not a whole heck of a lot better than the AHL. So that combined with a really mediocre NHL career. I mean, his NHL career puts him in puts him in the big three anyway, which is him, Greg Jolly, the 1974 first overall pick by the Washington Capitals, who um, never really got it going as an NHL player, although was a really, really good AHL player for, a, for about four or five, six years. Uh, Greg Jolly played 365 NHL games. Then there's Patrick Stefan. I think he's the 2000 first overall pick, year 2000. Uh, he's play, he played more NHL games, 455. Yakupov's at 350. Patrick Stefan was a really mediocre NHL player, though. Um, he played one. He had one good year in SM Liga in Finland. Didn't have much of an overseas career, and his hockey career was was pretty short. So I th- I actually think that Jolly's probably third on the list now. He had been first forever on that list, but I think it's down to Yakupov and Patrick Stefan as the worst first overall pick of all time. And Yakupov is making, <laughs> you know, as much as man, I just remember seeing him at that first development camp in his first season with the Oilers. He looked like the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think Scotty Bowman had compared him either either to Pavel Bure or Valerie Harlamov or both. I mean, he looked like such a confident, lethal, sniping, goal-scoring hockey player. And for for many years in Edmonton, so, uh, there was a hardcore fan base who just loved this player. And we're expecting him, you know, it was Yak City, and he was going to break out at any time. And he just wasn't – and then, you know, there was the accusations that he's not getting the breaks from the coach, you know, like, why don't they play him with McDavid and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Yakupov <sighs> – and there was I, that. He'd be my vote, Bruce, as the worst first overall pick of all time at this point. Unless he does something to change that, I think he takes the cake. 
Yeah, well, let's not forget. I mean, we talk about injury happening to these guys like Greg Jolly, and I want to say more on him in a sec, but uh, Yakupov, uh, the image that's frozen in my brain and my brainstem is of that clumsy linesman after uh, off of a face-off, stumbling and losing his balance, grabbing onto Yakupov so it doesn't fall to the ice and hauling Yak down and tearing up his knee. Season-ending injury. ACL, I think, wasn't it? What and year was that? That he. What year was that? His first. That wasn't his. The year first that he played league. forty games instead of eighty. One of those. Uh, it wasn't. No, it wasn't his first year. He was in the hunt for the rookie. Uh, first year he was in the yeah, seventeen goals yeah. in forty-eight games. He had a good first yeah. year, and it was all downhill mm-hmm. after that. Yeah. Dallas Akins was blamed for a lot of it, as I recall. Uh-huh. Maybe, yep. maybe rightly so. And I know, I know that the Oilers management they never saw Yakupov as Yakupov mm-hmm. saw himself. The Oilers management saw Yakupov mm-hmm. as kind of a mini power forward, mm-hmm. like a, a um, Brendan Gallagher type. They wanted him to be this mm-hmm. kind of bowling ball in front of, like, go hard to the net, battle hard, <laughs> and take the puck hard to the net. And, and, and you know what? Their vision of him probably was the one route to success as an NHL player that he had. Because he, in the end, didn't have the superlative level of skill it took to be kind of a finesse player. And like his shooting wasn't was always he a lost off. his shot. Passing was his pass. He passed too hard. He passed he too soft. He was a bullet passer. That's the, what part of the problem. Nurse says he passes too hard. And Yakupov was same thing. He's bullet passes. I'd be right on the tape and they'd bounce off of it because the guy wouldn't be able to, to handle the, the velocity. So he, yeah, I mean that 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 injury did really set him back, but. Uh, Something happened to him, and it was similar in a way to what happened to Pugliarvi and Yamamoto this year. Uh, other than Yak was a more natural goal scorer than either of those guys. And when he first came, showed up at his first dev camp, I remember watching him shooting the puck at that thing. He didn't need to have, you know, a real NHL goalie against him or defense or anything. It's just shooting drills. And the puck was just rocketing off his stick. And, and time and time again, he was just you know, bulging the twine, ringing the iron on the way in with the shot, whether it was goalie in the net or not. And first day I came away, I was going, what a shooter. And then something happened because by the end, it just seemed like he was whiffing and fanning. And I don't know. I wonder if these guys, if they got, you know, little vision problems that they haven't quite identified or, or, or what it is. I know it's well, it's obvious with the eye injury guys, they come back and they, their vision goes away and they start whiffing and and bobbling pucks left and right. But uh, it was kind of like that in, in, in sort of a micro scale, but you just lack that sort of perfect timing that you need to rocket those pucks, put them where you want to. And uh, he, it just deserted him. He had a really good year his first year in the KHL mm-hmm. too. In 2018-19 with St. Petersburg, he scored 23 goals in 47 games. And then since then, his games just disintegrated at the KHL level. This year in the playoffs, he had three points in 14 games for Omsk Avangard. So, um, you know, I just wonder if there is a universe where mm-hmm. things had turned out differently. Like for Yak, like, a, you know, he one of, one of the issues was his spot where he needed to be to succeed. He needed to be on the first power play unit on the right half wall where he could get off his one-timer yeah. shot. Yeah. And they, and when he arrived there at the Oilers, they had two guys, Taylor Hall, the shooter, and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, the passer, 
who that was also there. They were best. all lefties, yeah. So there was no spot. It, 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 there was no spot for him on that top power play unit, really, because mm-hmm. that was Taylor Hall's spot, essentially. And they didn't carve out a place for him there. And he just kind of want. He never got. He never got that um, confidence. Like if he had been there with the right passer, is there a, is there a different history of the universe where he might have become like a regular power play ace firing in those pucks um, Mm -hmm. constantly. He seemed to have that ability. He did score the 17 goals in 48 games in his first season. So who knows, but it's, it, what we've seen is he's never been able to consistently score at the professional level, except in two seasons, um, his first in Edmonton and his first in the KHL and, and all other, it's essentially 10 seasons now. He's just been a mediocre uh, goal scorer, and that's his best talent by far. He can't, he doesn't do much else. So yeah, he might. He, I think Bruce, if I, he might be my pick. Who would be your? Do you have a? I want thought? to mention. I want to mention Greg Jolly because he's from around the East parts. Hockey Reference hasn't born in Calgary, but uh, uh, I have intelligence that plays him in Saint Paul, Alberta, uh, great uh, uh, French Canadian town in and uh, 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 northeast of here. And the Jollies and the Desaigniers, and there's a few families. And I used to work with uh, uh, Greg's uh, cousin, Jerry Jolly, who was himself a very good player, but he ripped up his knee in junior hockey, and so he never got to go. And I mean, I think it was knee, too, for Greg. But here's his problem. He goes to Washington Capitals first overall in the draft because Washington is the new expansion team. And the Washington Capitals come in. they got this 20-year-old kid that they're you know building their – their brand around and in he comes from Regina to uh, uh, to Washington DC to the worst team in the history of the NHL uh, the team that won eight games lost 67 tied five with 181 goals for and 446 goals against so in his first season I'm just looking it up now he played 44 games only because he got hurt a young player and he got banged up in his first year one goal seven assists eight points minus 69 in 44 games and then by year two he got up to 54 games and minus 47 so much better uh, but his that was his two years in Washington and by then he'd already been hurt I think two or three different times pretty significant injuries and uh, uh, he had uh, uh, a couple of okay years in Detroit, and then he was done at uh, at 28. And I think I think physically he was done well before that. You know, the interesting thing this was also the Philadelphia Flyers Broad Street Bullies era of the NHL, which was a brutal time in hockey. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. just because of that team. Most teams had two, three uh, really rough and tough players, goons, and the Flyers had six or seven. And you know, mm-hmm. Washington. You know, he's, he just, you know, it looks like he took a beating with injury just from his games played. Now, he did have some good years in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, a you know, uh, a strong AHL defenseman, obviously. But he he just, um, he seemed to get a lot of injuries at the NHL level, and he just never made it. Um, at, and uh, as you say, I think that's a mitigating factor. Of course, the orders mm-hmm. with Yakupov were, pretty desperate team as well like that was a horrible hockey team mm-hmm. um, but with more talent than those Washington Capitals had and and you know the worst the orders were arguably the worst team of their era mm-hmm. uh, but they weren't the worst team in NHL history 
Oh, nothing close. And, you know, as bad as they were, they weren't uh, minus 265 goals in a season like the legendary 1974-75 Washington Capitals. They were the Cleveland Spiders of hockey. Uh, (laughs) 1899 uh, Cleveland Spiders. Those are mandatory 19th century sports reference. Let's go to your um, post on whatever became of. You looked at a number of Oilers defensemen who were still in the NHL but have been moved out by the Edmonton Oilers and how they're doing. And uh, this is a really pertinent question because so many of these players, um, right to the day they were traded, had hardcore believers in among the mm-hmm. Oilers fan base. So the Oilers were making a massive, hideous, ugly franchise rending mistake by moving out, you know, Matt Benning or Caleb Jones or Ethan Bear or um, those are the ones that come most to mind um, in terms of, of that kind of criticism. But there's a long list. eh? Michael Kesselring. Well, we were, we were Kesselring fans, but we were not happy necessarily he was traded, but we both, I think, supported the trade at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I did. So me too. Um, the one trade I hated was, you know, Jeff Petrie's on your list. That's the one I hated. I hated that. The one I didn't like, I didn't like Justin Schultz being moved, but I completely understood it because his confidence was crushed in Edmonton. He, he had to move. He had to go because he was not going to make it here. What did you find overall? Well, there's a lot of them. I mean, the orders have seeded the NHL with a lot of uh, a lot of players. I found uh, a list of 17 guys numbered among the 334 NHL defenders, uh, so a little over 5%, a 1 in 20 in a 32-team league, that were either drafted by the Oilers or signed by the Oilers, and or signed by the Oilers. And they did have a couple that got away without ever playing here, and all the others played their first NHL game here. Like, I wasn't interested in particularly what happened with a guy like uh, Adam Larson or Tyson Berry that came yeah. partway through their career and then went on their business somewhere. I was just interested in the young guys who started here. Where'd all these guys go? And a lot of them are still around. And there's a few more that are still just right there on the bubble, like, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Marty Marinson and Brandon Davidson that just left the league here in the last one or two years. And a couple that are still hanging around by miracle. Taylor Fadoon is still playing in the National Hockey League. Four games wow. this year. He's up to 131 now. Six different teams over eight different seasons. Out of the last 11 seasons, uh, Fadoon has played eight of them uh, since they signed him. Eight seasons where he's had games in the NHL. And for what he overcame as an undrafted player who then broke his femur in his first professional camp to come out and still have the drive. He's a Edmonton boy, uh, Fadoon, and he's a, a rocket scientist, I think was what the degree was he took at the Ivy School, League School he went to. He's one smart cookie I interviewed him one time. Uh, yeah, I think maybe. And anyway, he, uh, he's got the burning fire for hockey and he's still got it. And he's got to be 30, 31, 32 now. If he hadn't had that horrible injury where he's driven into the boards in a really ugly hit, I just wonder. He was about he was going to make the Oilers that it year. Looked like he was going to make the team right out of and camp. It was a he big looked, pleasant surprise. He looked good. He looked really good mm-hmm. uh, for the Oilers. He went to Princeton University. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a really brutal injury. That was I can't remember who hit him. 
But um, no, it's just a brutal, awesome. brutal play. So I organized this list, and I included the guys the orders drafted are still on the orders. There's five of those. There's 12 guys that that wound up not here, uh, and five that still are here: Darnell Nurse, uh, uh, Evan Bouchard, Philip Broberg, Marcus Niemelein, and Vincent DeHarney, that have only ever played in the NHL for the Oilers. Uh, so I split them out first in the order that they got that they got picked, and of course most of the early guys like Petrie and Fadoon and Eric Gustafson, who they never signed, which was a mistake, uh, that have gone uh, and continue to play in the NHL. And then it, later on, I sorted them by just 2022-23 performance, and I just sorted them by ice time. And out of the list, I found just three guys that play 20 minutes a night uh, on this list, led unsurprisingly by Darnell Nurse at uh, 23 and a half minutes, but Jeff Petrie's still at 22 and John Marino, the other one that got away, 21 minutes and four seconds last year playing for, uh, uh, he got traded. New uh, Jersey. New Jersey, yeah, that's right. And he was like a big plus two there. In, he didn't uh, really get uh, away. He was 21. never, he was more. But like, he was never going to come here. That was, once yeah. Peter Shirelli left, uh, Oilers' chances of signing Marino went down the, down the drain. And so he just played the, uh, well, he played the Justin Schultz card. I mean, the Oilers got a couple guys like that too, right? Matt Benning, Justin Schultz that were drafted and didn't sign with their drafting teams. And this is what Reno was going to do. So uh, uh, Ken Holland, in recognizing this, just said, well, I, I, I'll trade him. I'll trade his rights and get something back. And he got a sixth-round pick back. But it didn't seem very fair. And Marino just graduated immediately to the NHL and became a top-four defenseman with uh, – with Pittsburgh, and then now with uh, with New Jersey, pretty good clubs, and uh, right shot defenseman, and uh, he was uh, he was always in the in the bushes, David. Even the years that we were tracking him as a prospect, remember Harvard Harvard University, and he was the number two right shot defenseman because the number one guy was a dude named Adam Fox, who's since gone on to win the Norris Trophy, right? So mm-hmm. Fox got all the power play minutes, all the points. And here you had uh, Marino, sort of the the uh, playing on the defensive half of the of, uh, side of the of the spectrum, and not putting up that many points. And it turned out he was a pretty good player the whole time. And uh, uh, so that was one that got away. But the, the ones that got away, you know, Gustafson and Marino, they never signed him. And you could say, well, it was a mistake or you know, whatever circumstances. Uh, that went on to be good players elsewhere. And most of the guys who actually started and played here for a while are kind of in the pack, right? We've got, uh, uh, well, Matt Benning, who's, he, well, he was 19 minutes a night this year in San Jose on a poor team. Uh, Caleb Jones, 19 minutes a night in Chicago, a poor team. He's in there 18 minutes on uh, uh, mostly Vancouver. Evan Bouchard now with the Oilers, 18 minutes. One second less, less than Ethan Bear. So, uh, for all those people uh, saying Bouchard needs to get paid the big bucks, his ice time is a little little shy compared to some of the other guys that just got paid up. And I'll just leave that there because I think we discussed it before. Dustin Schultz still playing 18 minutes a night, but in weird Seattle, that's a second pairing. And then after that, it's a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, Michael Kesselring, Jordan Osterley, who's just kind of in a decent third-pairing defenseman for for generally uh, not Mediocre great teams. teams. Yeah, Brad Hunt. And, 
And then Brad Hunt is in there. And, uh, of course, Taylor Fadoon with his four games. And uh, Brad Hunt, though, he played 47 games this year. You know, and mm-hmm. he's uh, 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 he's still still in the league. So a lot of these guys that Edmonton identified and brought in, even the ones they signed, you know, Hunt, Fadoon, Osterby, Schultz, Benning, they didn't draft any of those guys. They picked them all off on the open market as uh, 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 unsigned, uh, you know, entry-level free agents, I call them. And then the rest that they picked in the draft, and of the ones they picked in the draft, invariably it's the first rounders that rise to the top. I mean, Darnell Nurse, out of this whole list this year, he led the list of 17 NHL defensemen uh, in games played, average time on ice, goals, points, and plus. And I'm pretty sure penalty minutes as well, but I didn't include it. And, you know, but also you have Evan Bouchard, Philip Broberg that are in the process of coming up, at least we hope so, with Broberg. And we're getting pretty clear signs with Bouchard that he's uh, blossoming, you know, into, into a very good player. And then a whole lot of sort of third-pairing guys, five, six, seven guys, tweeners, you know, there, there's, there's, there's not a lot of places in point. Boy, did they ever mess up and let this guy go on to become a star for some other NHL team for 15 years. Yeah, Marinson is not on your list, but he's the first one that I mm-hmm. really recall where there was this huge faction of people that mm-hmm. were holding like out I, I liked him too. I liked all of these players at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all have aspects of the game which are admirable. But mm-hmm. at some point, it also became clear that they probably weren't going to be top four defensemen. And the kind of the angst and rancor when they were traded was a little bit over the top, starting with Marinson, continuing on to Benning and uh, Jones and Bear. And mm-hmm. um, so it's, you know, there was, I think at some point, you know, it was it, the orders had come to an end, certain end with these players. They they re, they didn't think in Edmonton they would be top four D-men, so it was probably time to move them and try somebody else who might. Mm-hmm. And I think those were the those were the correct decisions. And we're we're getting to where we'll soon be uh, at that point with um, Philip Broberg. You know, where we're gonna in the next year or two, we'll see if he's gonna pan out or, or not. And right now, I'm I like this player a lot, and I think he's going to be a very good NHL player. I think he could easily be a top four D man, defensive D man, um, you know, shut down defenseman. Um, but we'll see, um, and uh, we'll see if there's probably a similar controversy around him as there's been around the other ones. But um, uh, I, I thought it's an interesting list and it brought mm-hmm. back all of those old controversies. My final mm-hmm. thought on it is I was so glad. I, I think Justin Schultz was was poorly treated by the fans of Edmonton. And I think that I was, he's the one player when he went to Pittsburgh and won those two Stanley Cups, I was thrilled with that because mm-hmm. that guy could always play. He could mm-hmm. always move the puck exceptionally well. He was a strong power mm-hmm. player and he showed that with the Pittsburgh Penguins on two Stanley Cup winning teams where he was playing a key role. So good for him. A fairly recent retiree who would be on the same list would be uh, Matt Green, uh, who made the Stanley Cup finals with Edmonton and then went on to win two Stanley Cups with uh, Los Angeles. And, you know, generally as a third pairing D-man, he never really rose above third pairing, but he was a hell of a good third pairing D-man. And he was while he was here. 
He was like that Don Jackson kind of third party, mm-hmm. you know, like the defensive defenseman who can fight and hit and mm-hmm. clear the crease and clear the rebound yeah. and DeHarnay, clean right? up the opponent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, the, he's a version of the DeHarnay mm-hmm. uh, defense. That type for sure. All right, Bruce, did we cover all the territory that we set out to tonight? Have we? Think that I think that might be it. So we're just waiting for the McLeod and Bouchard decisions this week. When that when those happen, we'll probably do a podcast then, um, and we'll talk about that. And it sounds like there's talk of the Oilers signing one more center iceman for the fourth line. We'll see mm-hmm. if that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, it's it's pretty quiet. We're moving on. We've now uh, we've now uh, voted on the prospect series. All five of us. We had uh, yep. myself, you. Kurt Levins, Ira Cooper, and Jim Matheson, um, Hockey Hall of Fame writer, has participated. I think it's Jim's fourth year in a row uh, voting in the mm-hmm. prospect series. So we've all voted, and we have our list. Um, mm-hmm. This isn't this isn't exactly a spoiler, but it's not a very it's a pretty shallow uh, prospect pool, Bruce, that the Oilers have right now. It's the most mm-hmm. shallow prospect pool they've had in years. Well, t- well, 10, I don't know, fifteen years. Yeah, years. I was going to say all the time we've been doing that, but then there was all those years where the first rounder would be number one one year, and then he'd already be graduated the next year, so it would be a new 18-year-old kid at the top of the list. Yeah. Uh, but what happened this year is we essentially lost four number ones from this list because oh, we had uh, graduating on Dylan Holloway and Philip Broberg, uh, and then... Uh, of course, Reed Schaefer got traded, and the first round pick from this year got traded in that same trade. And surely right. that guy would have been number in the top three, yeah. whoever they would have drafted in the first round this year. They hung on to that pick, so that's essentially a, you know a vacuum of uh, of 19, 2019, 2022, 20, and 23. And so the guy from 2021, Xavier Borgo, he kind of stands out as the only first rounder that's uh, currently in the system. So uh, it's uh, it is a bit shy, and the list is way small. There's only 27 guys on it. We've Usually there's 35 30s, to 40. 30, yeah. yeah, yeah, we had, we we had uh, 35 was was pretty standard. But again, they've you know not only have they graduated guys, but they've traded so many draft picks that they're just not replenishing uh, yeah. the miners. And they're replenishing more and more of the miners with AHL contracts, who by definition we leave off of our considerations for because uh, I mean trying trying to project an AHL I mean every once in a while you get one right but uh, Vinny DeHarnay between being a draft choice and being ranked for a few years but when he signed the AHL contract we stopped ranking him and then when he played his way back into into contention we, we ranked him again last year it's quite a story you know he might be the only one of the few story. players who was in the 30s like in our rankings in the 30s four ever- years in a row Who's ever made it to the? <laughs> well, he was even he was unranked a couple of years because he was like an AHL yeah, contract. Yeah, well, that's right. So yeah, he so it's quite an amazing thing. So Bruce, um, we'll be writing about that probably starting mm-hmm. sometime next week. So, all right, well, we'll leave it there. Bruce, right. thank you for talking today. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between time, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>